0: Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space studios in Wormtown, the friendly confines. Lance, how are you?
1: Oh, feeling good. Feeling good. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. As I said, these these are friendly confines, not not at all like what we're talking about in this episode.
1: This is the opposite of what we're talking about in this episode. This episode was really incredible. We're talking about Suitcase Jane Doe again with our friend and investigator on the ground, Jennifer Amell. She lives in the area that the suitcase uh, Jane Doe body was found. For those of you who had listened to episode one of our suitcase Jane Doe coverage, we'll do a little recap of that in in this episode. And Jennifer continues her pursuit of the truth here. And as she's doing this, we make this discovery that this might not be a contained incident.
0: Well, there's certainly a lot of Jane Doe's out there, Lance. And when you start looking into Jane Doe's in specific areas, you start to find them. And so that is what happened during this episode. And I don't want to completely give it away, but there's some real-time stuff that that happens during this episode, and it's no exception here, Lance.
1: Yeah. Again, like you said, I don't want to give away anything, but I remember it happening, remember listening back to it, and remember thinking how maybe important and special that the moment was.
0: Okay, so check out the previous episode that was aired about a month ago on this very feed, and uh, we follow up back with Jennifer Amel filmmaker Jennifer Amel from Pennsylvania, in this episode and her pursuit to identify suitcase Jane Doe.
1: And we also talk about Jennifer's pursuit of Mr. Buck Plank. He is the man who discovered the suitcase and found the body and reported it to the state police. He has since been located by no one and has seemingly gone off the radar. So she went out there to find out if there was any way she could contact him. And we talk about that as well. Really, really fascinating.
0: Okay, so check out Jennifer's work. There are a few links in the show notes. And also there is a link to StitcherPremium.com in the show notes, Lance.
1: Stitcher Premium is where we house the most premium product that we can come up with, like Missing More Murray Creator Commentary.
0: Yeah, and the entire crawlspace archive is on Stitcher Premium ad-free. So if you do $4.99 a month, you get a free month with code MMM. Stands for Missing Maura Murray. You get the entire Crawl Space catalog. You get all the ad-free Missing Maura Murray episodes in addition to our creator's commentary that we currently have 20 new episodes
1: up for. You also get Empty Frames, Lance. Empty Frames, our wonderful art heist podcast, started off with the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist, and season two focused on other art heists, other art crime, and other sort of significant moments in the art culture. And it's so hot, it can't even make the public feed.
0: Okay, so check them out over at stitcherpremium.com and follow us on Twitter at CrawlSpacePod. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you very much. back to Crawl Space, Jennifer Amell. How are you today, Jennifer?
2: I'm doing great. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing great over here in the Crawl Space Studios. Cozy over here. Cozy,
1: nestled in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown, Massachusetts.
0: Really unlike anything we're going to talk about today with you, uh, not
1: cozy. You first contacted us about Suitcase Jane Doe. It immediately raised our antenna and then collectively the three of us started looking into these other ones and you said you might want to check out these as well so we're going to talk about a couple of other unidentified females from that area sort of around the same time frame within within 20 or 30 years right yeah and we'll get into a couple of other things with you but thanks for coming back on and this is going to be the second of probably a series of episodes about first of all suitcase jane doe and these other two that we'll get into, as well as the mystery of Buck Plank.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Buck Plank. Uh, So, Jennifer, what have you been up to uh, in your uh, investigating?
2: Buck Plank is uh, the guy who stumbled across the suitcase. He was the fisherman who found the body. And he opened up the suitcase and uh, subsequently called the state police to come check out the scene. He's really our most important witness would you call
0: him yeah i guess he's a witness and of course he opened the the suitcase that uh had suitcase jane doe her upper half inside yeah we talked to chloe Cantor on a recent episode of crawlspace about that and that decision and uh jennifer i know you and chloe had corresponded a little bit online and chloe's background makes her take quite interesting on this
2: The suitcase that she was found in was wrapped in a garbage bag and in wires and in tape. And he really picked it apart and took everything apart to get to it. And something that Jen and I had discussed when we uh, spoke on the phone a few days ago is at a certain point after a few weeks, uh, there must have been an overwhelming smell of human decomposition. So if you're thinking, oh, maybe he's looking for money, he had to have smelled something really vile and you have to consider the level of motivation there. And that's something that I don't think really sits quite well with any of us. Uh, I found it very interesting uh, that, that Chloe is sort of looking into the psychology of someone who would stumble upon a find like this. Um, she mentioned uh, there, there must have been a smell. There must have been a, a pretty putrid smell. I mean, you got to remember, this was in July. It was in the summer. They were experiencing a heat wave at the time. And the body had been there for just about a week, they say three to seven days. So this is like prime... Putrefication smell time you know i i just can't imagine that he would open this bag and expect anything other than something decomposing
1: we did talk about that at length during that live show that chloe was on and we were saying at what point do you start to smell that and say there's something wrong here there's not money that he thought was going to be in the suitcase. It's not in the suitcase. You had a really revealing part in your interview with his friend John Yank, where John had said that Buck told him, I thought I was going to be rich. I thought I was going to be rich. And then he said he opened it saw a hand, immediately shut it, and then called the state police. I think that's revealing on two ends. It shows that he went in there with the motivation. He wanted to find money. He thought that that suitcase had money. And we had previously discussed because they had fingerprints, we assumed that there must have been a hand. According to John Yank, Buck had said, I saw a hand and immediately shut the suitcase. So let's listen to John Yank's words in your interview that you performed with him. When was that?
2: Uh, This was two months ago. So how did you hear the news?
3: Probably heard it on the news that I know a fella that runs the trout Hatchery on Valley Creek. And through our fly fishing network, they told me that his name was Buck. I believe it's Buck Plank. And uh, told me that he had found the suitcase with the body in it.
2: And you knew Buck? Yeah. What was he like?
3: Kind of an oddball, old hippie throwback.
2: Avid fisherman?
3: Avid fisherman. Hmm. I fished with him a few
2: times. Did you ever fish with him on Valley Creek?
3: Uh, no. Always somewhere else.
2: Hmm. Spring Creek,
3: Susquehanna. He's an electrician, or was. I'm not sure if he's even alive now because he was having heart problems and had an operation. But he was, uh, from what I understand, a commercial electrician and working in the area here. Blue Ford van, ladders on the van, little wire rim glasses big curly hair like an afro He's a real nice fellow, he ran a trout hatchery on Valley Creek. If I was driving past there and saw his car or the van, I'd pull in and chat with him and he told me about it and he told me that he found this thing and he thought he was rich because he found a suitcase. And he ran down and opened it up. I forget what he said it was. He said, but as soon as he opened up, he realized what it was in there and just slammed it shut and called the state police.
2: Did he say what it was wrapped in? Did he go into specifics at all?
3: No. From oh. what I remember, he said it was like a suitcase. Yeah. A small suitcase.
2: And what do you think he would have been doing there?
3: Well, the trout hatchery hatches trout for Valley Creek. Mm-hmm. And he is the guy that takes the trout and stocks the creek. So he's always walking the creek. And he was involved. It was a, a PennDOT put a Route 30 bypass in. They destroyed some wetlands. And Buck, through Trout Unlimited, they agreed to basically install a new wetlands in his area because the land was there. He helped out with all that put in the wetlands and what trees and how to dam up the creek to generate the swamps so he was always on the water there
2: okay so it's nothing out of the ordinary that he would have been in that strange little
3: no it would be unusual for him not to be there
2: and not to like cast suspicion on anybody undeserving but the police cleared him
3: no idea
2: would you think he would be capable of something like that no way not
3: a million years Uh, think so. He was as laid back and normal as as anybody really, you know.
2: Was he a little closed off about what he saw? Nah,
3: not really. I mean, it was kind of nonchalant, really, about it. After we had heard this whole thing went on, I asked him, I said, I heard you're the guy who found a suitcase. Oh, dude, it was the worst day of my life. I said, I thought I was rich. I opened that thing up and saw a hand or whatever, and man, Slam that thing shut! Call the state police. Ah, freak me out! Freak me out! I'll never forget it.
2: Wow! Yeah. So he immediately called the state police, not I think the local it was the state police. police. That he called. Do you think uh, someone would have to be familiar with the area to dump something there? I would think
3: anybody coming off of Route Thirty, looking for a side route, would come down and not knowing the area, not knowing that people are on valley creek every day fishing and they do classes over there for high school kids and whatnot on what's in what lives in the water but if you didn't know the area you'd come down that windy road through those tunnels and so on and it'd probably look like a very likely spot to dump a body i myself would know better i know places where i dump my bodies (laughs) But I can see where somebody coming off a main road, not knowing the area, would think, oh, man, nobody's ever here. Because at night, someone looks desolate.
2: Were there any rumors circulating around the time? Not that I'm aware of. None that you heard of.
0: So, Jennifer, what did you think about that clip?
2: I think. This is a like a very much of a hearsay sort of interview. Uh, I mean, John didn't have anything to do with the case, and he did mention that that Buck opened the suitcase and he saw a hand pop out. But what's not included in, in the interview that we edited out is that he saw a leg in the suitcase, which we know is not true. So this sort of leads me to believe that John's memory is a little hazy about what Buck told him. But I think the uh, the important part of the interview with John is that he gave us a little bit of insight into Buck's personality and his character. Buck was uh, kind of a recluse. He was a weird guy. Um, John described him as an oddball. And he he lived alone. He wasn't married. And his life was sort of the fly fishing world and his trout hatchery. So this is a lonely dude who's uh, just walking around the woods and he finds this thing, calls the police, and disappears off the map i can't i can't find any um recollection from the police or any report saying that they interviewed him as a suspect that they cleared him as a suspect and nobody knows where he is so it's a a yet another mystery
1: okay how did you get in touch with john yank how did he get on your radar
2: i have a friend here in town his name's mike and john's kind of his uh his guru his like hunting fishing man stuff guru (laughs) okay he's like you know John might know something about this and lo and behold he he knew buck personally.
1: <laughs>
0: That's good intel. I think it's important to note that that John said that buck was kind of a soft-spoken guy and and wouldn't couldn't have imagined buck having done anything like this. So I just wanted to point that out.
2: There's really no evidence pointing to the fact that he had any involvement other than just finding the suitcase. But I just, I think it's weird. I think it's weird that he would touch all of the evidence, um, rip the tape and the wire, probably got his DNA and his fingerprints all over this. And how did the police distinguish between him and other fingerprints or DNA that was on there? Did they test it? It's just uh, questions that need to be discussed and answered.
1: Yeah, I think we want to make it clear that we're not going out of our way to say that Buck Plank is a suspect in any means. He was doing what he'd always done pretty much every day of his working life, which was walk that area and and do the culling for, uh, for the hatchery. And he happened to find the suitcase that obviously looked like it was thrown from a vehicle. We're not saying that he's a suspect, but he can answer questions that law enforcement— isn't replying to you with so you have these questions we now have these questions and the listeners have these questions did he see a hand in there did he how what was the condition like where was it even if he has a good recollection of where the suitcase was that can give us a good idea of maybe how fast the car was going did someone get out of the car and walk into the woods because it was too far in you know could they have thrown it from a parked car or a moving car it can really give us a, a good idea of the movement of our killer or whoever dropped the body off if Buck Plank is alive, I know that John had said that he had some heart issues.
2: He didn't really elaborate on that. He was sort of hinting at the fact that Buck may be deceased.
1: How old would Buck be?
2: He would be in his uh, late 60s to 70s. Okay. I believe. Um, I did look through a bunch of obituaries in the area and I found some planks, but they seemed to be his mother and father.
1: So if he is deceased and there are people that knew him and he spoke to them about finding Suitcase Jane, it would be interesting to at least go to the secondary person of information and say, what did he tell you? It would be nice maybe if there were some family members or other friends that could come forward and say, this is what Buck said.
2: Absolutely. And you did bring up an interesting point about like where the suitcase was, actually, because there were conflicting reports in the local newspaper here, uh, the Daily Local, that the suitcase was kind of further back from the t- tunnels. Like uh, I know it was half submerged in the water and then half uh, caught on a sandy bank. And then there's another report that it was just outside the middle tunnel. And this is uh, interesting because... Maybe 50 yards from the tunnel, there is a path, like a little deer path, a fisherman's path, that you can easily access the creek. So you could stop your car there on the shoulder, carry the suitcase down, and sort of chuck it into the creek. Or you can drive right up to the entrance of the tunnel, and there's like a much more beaten path down into the water. So I I don't know how much difference it makes, like where exactly the suitcase was. But we also want to rule out it being uh, washed down uh, from the creek. Maybe there was a completely separate drop point.
0: I think there's some valid points here. I think it's definitely worth talking about. I think if you figured that maybe it was tossed from a car, then I would argue that there's probably a second person involved. Doing the tossing. Probably. And would have to be a certain physical stature to be able to throw a suitcase of a certain weight out of a car or just down an embankment,
1: I have a quick question that I think I forgot about last time. What type of train goes over there? Is it like a commuter rail or is it like a freight train?
2: It's a commuter rail. They have a Amtrak and septa that goes over there
1: and back mm. then it was mm. back then it was a commuter rail
2: yeah, yeah, I believe so
1: interesting yeah. you have you have hundreds of people passing over there on a daily basis, I would imagine, yeah,
2: there's no stop near there. The stop is about. two, two and a half, three miles away. I don't know how, if you were on a moving train and you had a body on the train.
0: A lot of those trains have um, things that you can kind of walk through. The well, connector
1: trains, you're not supposed to walk through it, but it does put you outside for a second.
0: It does, but I would argue that uh, a suit that, that suitcase in particular was awfully conspicuous with the wire and such. Someone probably would have remembered seeing that suitcase if someone threw it from the train.
2: Yeah, the chances of not having a witness to that kind of behavior would be pretty slim.
1: Although, I'll just present a hypothetical. Please. I'm, I'm sitting in the car, in the in the train car. I have my suitcase that's in another bag, like a duffel bag. I stand up. I have the duffel bag over my shoulder. I go through. All people have seen at that point is someone has crossed through the cars with a duffel bag. I take it out. I whip it out into the woods. And then I go into the following car, the the, the subsequent car, and everyone just sees a man coming through. Or with a big duffel well, bag. Well, an empty duff, duffel yeah. bag. Yeah. yeah.
2: The trains here, though, I'm pretty sure the Scepter ones have windows, like, on the end of the car on both sides. So you would be able to see through, like, the connecting
1: part. That's a good point. So you have your door, and then you got windows on either side. We've seen that on commuter rails and Amtrak. I think
0: it sounds pretty unlikely that it was tossed from a train, to but, train. but, again, worth, to explore. worth the topic, for sure. Yeah. We mentioned some correspondence with law enforcement. Can you tell us a little bit about your attempts?
2: I haven't received any word from law enforcement yet. There are two state troopers uh, that are connected to the case right now that are supposedly actively investigating it. Um, But they didn't have the case at the time in 1995. So I've tried uh, calling both of those troopers, haven't received an answer. Uh, And then I also contacted their media department that's supposed to deal with journalists and stuff like that and just haven't gotten a reply.
0: No reply whatsoever, eh?
2: No.
1: Well, that's unfortunate.
2: So this is um, an active plea. If you are in the Pennsylvania State Troopers, please contact me.
1: Here's the thing. We're not going to stop doing these episodes so we can either handle the information as You get it and we get it and you give it to us. And then we say this is just what we've found on our own or we could have police corroborate them.
2: We're working off of, you know, some sort of scant newspaper clippings from 20 years ago. Chances are their facts could be wrong. I just want to know what the police have on file, if they'd be willing to release any additional information. We don't want to be chasing down leads and theories that have no basis in reality
0: and here's one that might have no basis in reality these other two jane does that were found in pennsylvania not terribly far and in fact down highways or uh north in one case where beth jane doe was found about a hundred miles from this other one ben salem doe that was about 50 miles East, down I-276. Now, can you tell us a little bit about these similarities?
2: Let's tackle Beth Doe first. I know some of our listeners on Twitter have brought up Beth Doe, and she is actually mentioned in uh, the file on Pennsylvania missing and unidentified. So it seems like this has been in the minds of law enforcement and anyone who's investigating this case that it is similar in some respects. Um, The only thing is, is that Beth Doe, was found in 1976. So we've got a a good sort of chunk of time between Beth Doe and Suitcase Jane Doe. So this uh, Beth Doe is particularly horrific. So fair warning (laughs) for some gruesome details. Beth Doe was found in Lehigh River, and that's in the Pocono Mountain region of Pennsylvania. Probably a good two and a half hour, three hour drive from Downingtown. But Route 80 goes right by Uh, lehigh and there's sort of a bridge that goes over the river they suspect that somebody was driving on the road uh stopped their vehicle and got three suitcases out of their out of their car their truck and just chucked them over into the river and they actually missed with two suitcases two ended up landing on the bank and then one fell into the river but like washed up pretty easily just a little farther down the river Two of these suitcases contained um, the arms and legs of Beth Doe, and then another suitcase contained her torso and head, I believe. And then the third suitcase, uh, unfortunately, contained the full-term fetus that Beth Doe had been carrying. So
1: she was pregnant at the time of her death, at the time of her murder?
2: Yes, yeah.
0: About six months, it says.
2: Oh, so not full-term.
1: I don't know if that's
0: accurate or not, but that's what it says uh, on pennsylvania com. okay now she was found in 1988
1: is that is that true am i Beth looking doe? at the wrong one? Oh, we're you're looking at ben salem
0: oh okay i'm looking at ben salem okay. ben
2: salem wasn't 1988 either it wasn't no that was 1995 the same year as suitcase changer
0: i'm looking at a ben salem a doe a doe found in ben salem bucks county 1988
2: it must be a different one Oh my kidding, God! Really? Are you kidding me? What?
1: Okay, so this one here, <laughs> this one here, Frank Bender actually did the recreation of the head, did and he? it says discovered January twenty fourth, nineteen eighty eight, in Buck, Ben Salem, Bucks County.
2: Is that a
0: different one? Oh, geez. Uh, I googled Ben Salem Jane Doe, and that, so I I might have found that one accidentally and thought it was the one that you had previously talked
1: about. She had brought up Ben Salem. You looked at Ben Salem and found another one
0: holy shit so that just happened in real time so that's that's 1988 so okay so what's the first one beth beth jane doe was
2: 1976
0: 76 then you're talking yeah. 88 suitcase jane doe was 95 and when was this other ben salem jane doe found
2: 95 yeah that was her body was found in august of 95
1: okay so those two years are the same beth doe was 76 okay followed by the first Ben Salem that you found in 88. Okay. And then Suitcase Jane Doe and your, Jen, your Ben Salem Jane Doe is 95.
2: Correct. The interesting thing about the uh, Ben Salem Jane Doe that I brought up to you guys is that she was found in August of 95, but her time of death was uh, determined to be about four to five weeks earlier. So that would put her time of death in July 1995, which is the same time of death. As Suitcase Jane Doe. And the other interesting thing to note about Ben Salem Jane Doe number two, her body was found uh, behind Franklin Mills Mall in Pokessing Creek. She was missing a head and she was missing both of her hands. So both identifying uh, body parts. Okay. And then her drop site is located nine and a half miles away from the leg drop site of Suitcase Jane Doe in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. That's that's just about a 15-minute drive away.
1: How far away is Whitehaven, Pennsylvania from the others?
2: It's pretty far.
0: I got it here. Whitehaven is about 100 miles from Ben Salem. Yeah. North up a highway. They're really all straight shots up highways, pretty much off highways.
2: Yeah, yeah, with the exception of the Twin Tunnels.
0: A little bit on this one that I just found, it, it does say that they believed her body was there for at least three years.
1: You're talking about Ben Salem Jane Doe 1, 1988.
0: Yes, 1988. Estimated time of death was one to five years before being found.
2: Oh, interesting. Okay, so we've got sort of a timeline here. I'm I'm a little hesitant to connect um, Beth Doe, the one in Whitehaven. To suitcase Jane Doe, because the MO seemed to be so different, there was evidence of sexual assault. She was pregnant and she was uh, dismembered and, and or disarticulated and on multiple points instead of just sort of cut in half. The only thing that makes it eerily similar is the suitcases involved.
0: It's hard for me to believe that that some of these aren't connected. And then this is kind of getting back to why law enforcement really does need to uh, have some correspondence about this because I don't want to say the SK words, but uh, it kind of sounds like a serial killer was stalking eastern Pennsylvania in the 70s, 80s and 90s.
1: We don't know from 1976 with Beth Doe to 1988 that there aren't other victims in there. And someone didn't say, oh, shit, I appreciate the fact that I got lucky and I recognize that. So I'm going to try to assimilate myself back into society, get a wife. And then all of a sudden these emotions build up again and it happens again.
2: I think uh, the uh, Ben Salem Jane Doe, number two, (laughs) 1995, she was much older than any of these other victims. How old was she? She was uh, between 55 and 65. Okay, interesting. So she would have been old enough to potentially be suitcase Jane Doe's mother, elder sister. What if suitcase Jane Doe um, had this boyfriend? Potentially she was in a domestic abuse situation. Uh, She fled him, went to her mother's house. He came after her, killed her for whatever reason. And then the mother was a witness. He killed her too and then had to dispose of both bodies at the same time.
0: It'd be tougher to be unidentified if that were the case, I would say.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right.
0: But not impossible. I mean, a lot of people do live off the grid in certain ways, not really known to neighbors or friends or police.
2: They do. And, I mean, there is an unfortunate sort of trend um, in the Philadelphia area. The murder rate used to be much higher here in the outskirts of Philly, Um, But definitely in 1995, um, if you did live below the poverty line, if you were not white, if you had no um, connections to the community, you just wouldn't be investigated. Like the police just didn't have the time to invest in in these kind of uh, situations um, because they were so frequent and um, nobody was putting pressure on them. There was no advocate. You know, there are a bunch of reasons why this might fall through the cracks.
1: So when we got distracted, we were talking about Beth Doe, discovered in 1976. And you were in the middle of talking about the body and how it was discovered and the suitcases and the fact that she was pregnant. Do you have any other details on our first victim of the day, Beth Doe?
2: So she is estimated to be um, between her late teens and early 20s which is somewhat similar to suitcase Jane Doe. Um, if you recall, uh, SJD was between 25 and 35. 5'4", approximately 130 to 150 pounds. She had dark brown hair, uh, it was medium length. Her eyes were brown. They do have DNA and fingerprints available to uh, keep testing. I think they did some, some analysis of her isotopes um, and they determined that she was born in Europe and then moved to the United States. But she she hasn't been identified. There's been no movement on this case since uh, 2014.
1: What happened in 2014?
2: That's when they did the isotope analysis. Oh, okay. Uh, Beth Doe also had a determined cause of death. Um, she was strangled and then shot in the neck. Suitcase Jane Doe did not have a cause of death. They found no evidence of strangulation, no blunt force trauma. No bullet wounds, no knife wounds, except for, you know, on the legs that they dismembered.
1: Shot in the neck. Ugh. Awful. Is that before or after the strangulation? Yeah, I'm not sure. Is that shot in the neck and she's still alive, so he decides to strangle her? Because it's getting, like, too messy? messy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I would think the opposite, actually. Like, if you are trying to strangle someone, it's taking too long, or... Maybe he thought she was dead, and and sh- and she wasn't. Like she took another breath, and then he had a gun and just for good measure shot her. I don't know. That's brutal.
1: The first Ben Salem Jane Doe looks a lot like Suitcase Jane Doe.
0: I agree. She was. Estimated between 17 and 23, somewhere between 5 foot and 5 foot 3, about 100 pounds, 120 pounds. Discovered on January 24th in 1988 in Ben Salem. There were some clothes found with her. She was discovered by a man walking his dog. Doesn't that sound like a, that's how it always
1: happens?
2: <laughs> Never walk around.
1: Just stay inside. <laughs> yeah. A couple of telling things about the clothing is that she was wearing gray leather high-heeled pump shoes, a white pattern pullover dress, and black mesh stockings.
2: That, to me, sounds like she potentially could have been a sex worker.
0: I don't want to read too much into that because she was pregnant,
2: too. Yeah. Yeah, she was. That is a very similar look and build to Beth Doe. And suitcase Jane Doe, actually. Uh, Typically you find, I think, with serial killers that they have a a type that they go after, um, people who look similar. So all of these Jane Doe's, with the exception of the second Ben Salem Jane Doe, because we don't have her head, it's never found. um, All of them have been brown eyes, brown hair, on the shorter side, petite, um, and have had Children involved, been pregnant, or in the case of uh, suitcase Jane Doe, um, the only evidence we have of maybe a, a tie to a child is that a uh, little jumper found in a bag of clothes with her legs.
0: A Mickey Mouse sweatshirt, was it?
2: The Mickey Mouse sweatshirt and the uh, jumper.
0: Okay, the Mickey Mouse was the adult one, okay.
2: Yeah.
1: There's not a whole lot of information about the second Ben Salem Jane Doe discovered in August of '95. Just over a month after suitcase chain down, how was that body discovered?
2: So there are these two teenage boys. Um, they were behind uh, the mall, Franklin Mills Mall, and they were fishing. And I looked on Google Maps. I haven't been there yet. Um, but there's like a, a large car park behind the mall that sort of abuts an embankment, which you can walk down to the creek. So they must have been down there fishing and an article sort of described the situation that they were there for a while and they thought the body was actually a dead deer because it didn't look human. It had been in the water for four to five weeks and they just didn't pay it any mind until they got a bit closer and they saw that it was indeed a decapitated female body and they immediately called the police. A very strange thing about these two teenage boys is that they actually stumbled upon another body I think of a man a month before and called the police about that.
1: Two teenage boys discovered the body of a man a month before discovering the body of the second Ben Salem Jane Doe.
2: Correct. Yeah. So they
1: discovered a body around the same time suitcase Jane Doe was discovered.
2: Um Either way, what is happening in that sure area? Of the date of that previous discovery. Ben Salem is pretty rough. I mean, it's not entirely uncommon for these things to happen.
0: Rough in what way?
2: It's an area that was kind of depressed since the 50s. Um, it was a factory town, poverty-stricken, lots of uh, drugs in the area, and it's it has been quite violent for some time. It's cleaned up a bit in the last 10 to 15 years, but definitely in 95 and 88 it would have been rough.
1: <laughs> do you have the names of the two teenage boys who discovered the second Ben Salem Jane
2: Doe? I do actually have the names of the two teenage boys who discovered... Um, the second, Ben Salem, Jane Doe. So I think I will try to get in touch with them and maybe get some answers on what they were doing, finding two bodies so close together. Is it just because they were frequent fishers and that was just a difficult area that experienced a lot of violent crime? I mean, what are the chances that you would find two bodies within a few months of each other?
0: Well, when there's a serial killer in the area and you're fishing and that's where he likes to drop them, uh, maybe the, those odds go up
2: so if these Ben Salem Jane Doe's are at all connected to our su- suitcase Jane Doe um, and the only real reason that I say that is because the, the drop site of both these Ben Salem Jane Doe's are so close to the leg drop site what in the world would possess this serial killer to drop a torso in Downingtown which is an hour away I think we're still in the camp of two people involved.
1: If you're talking about these being connected, then there's yeah. more than then there's more than one person involved.
2: Maybe someone who was more familiar with the Ben Salem, Bucks County area, who dropped the legs, the two Jane Does, and then somebody else who dropped the torso suitcase, Jane Doe.
1: I will say that it is odd. It's all odd. I don't know.
0: It's don't all know. odd. We don't know if it's connected at all, but uh...
1: I'll tell you, what we do know is that looking into Moore's case and Brianna's case, this doesn't happen in real time. It's we've, we've never looked at those two cases and said, oh, wow, look at this. This is really similar, and this is really similar. There have been other people who have disappeared, but not dismembered, not so similar as far as descriptions go. Getting back to Buck Plank real quick, you made a trip out there yesterday, and you made a short video of your search for Buck Plank. Uh, can you just synopsize what you did yesterday?
2: So I mentioned I got a call from his friend John. Uh, which we heard from him earlier. Um, And he suggested that I actually go out to the trout hatchery, which I actually, I had no idea it was still in existence. And so I decided to go out there and just see if Buck was there, just hanging around, or potentially if some of his friends were there and I could ask them if they knew where Buck was. So I uh, took a camera and some of my audio gear and drove out there. And you actually have to pass through the suitcase drop site through the Twin Tunnels, and then just under a mile away was the Trout Hatchery. Uh, It was all boarded up, um, and there was nobody there, probably because it's winter. But I did leave a note asking for anybody who knows Buck or has any information to give me a call. So hopefully I hear from somebody. Revisiting the Twin Tunnels, uh, we were driving pretty slowly through there and sort of shining a light around and looking at the graffiti. On uh, one side of the wall was a giant black swastika, which I had never seen before. It's awful. And then on the other side, there was some graffiti that read R.I.P. Amy. Who is Amy?
1: You can let your imagination get the best of you when speculating who Amy is. Is that the identity of Suitcase Jane Doe? I know we kind of went back and forth on that outside of the show, and someone was paying respect to her if they knew who she was, and that was the only way they could do that without being singled out and identified.
2: Definitely. These are things I will be looking into.
1: It sounds like you had a really productive trip, going out there, leaving the note for Buck Plank. Contact information, I'm assuming, you put on there for him to to get in touch with you, or someone who knows him to get in touch with you. We'll play a little of that video on the way out.
2: But here are the Twin Tunnels. And the suitcase was found just here, if you walk down this embankment. So he could have just stopped his car, gotten right out, thrown the suitcase, and then continued. The shoulder really isn't too much. I mean, there's just enough room for a sedan to park. What's my car there. Um, But there are quite a few cars that pass through the tunnels.